I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibuman people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongar Buja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. This is episode number 84 and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Tim Lagman. Tim is a certified sex educator with the American College of Sexologists International and pleasure advocate based in Toronto, Canada. He began his sexual journey through escorting, where he worked with a number of clients from different backgrounds and all walks of life, ranging from couples, individuals, poly relationships, and everything in between. He then went to study business management, specializing in the music industry, and graduated with honors. In his free time, Tim likes to volunteer and give back to the community through outreach in Toronto's LGBT scene, uh, providing sex, ed sex education and harm reduction resources to the public. It is his mission in life to make sex fun and funny as he loves to make people laugh and believes in the curative powers of laughter. The two of us talk about rimming, multiple orgasms and edging, as well as Tim's lived experience as a gay Asian man who works as a sexuality professional. And you can find Tim on Instagram and on Twitter at Sex Ed with Tim, uh, also on Facebook, Sex Ed with Tim. And in uh, this episode, we laughed a lot. It was, it was a great time, actually. Tim uh, brought some lightheartedness and some playfulness to the podcast uh, and to our conversation, which I think has maybe been historically lacking a little bit. Uh, so it was really lovely to have a pretty lighthearted conversation with him. Uh, and of course, towards the end of the podcast, we go a little bit deeper uh, and a bit more heavy in terms of topics. And we talk about the intersection of being Asian and being gay. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of juicy content in here. So it was really lovely to talk to Tim uh, and I hope you enjoy listening. Today, I'm going to be discussing an activity that some of you might find embarrassing. However, I assure you, there is nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't seem to me that you have to go straight to intercourse, or that you have to go all the way at all. You can't have sex in a good relationship without both partners being involved in contraception. Tim, let's jump in, mate. I am um, I'm excited to, to talk to you, and, and you know, my first question uh, it's not a question. It's actually an invitation and it's an invitation for you. I'd love to invite you to share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the work that you do. And I'm also curious about what you're really passionate about as well. So that's my invitation for you to share for a couple of minutes, mate. Wow. That is a very small talk kind of question there. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay so a little bit about myself. My name is Tim. I am a certified sex educator. I actually started my sex education journey uh, when I was an escort. I escorted from 2012 to 2016. I left escorting to pursue um, a degree in business, uh, specifically focusing on uh, the music industry. Uh, and then when I left the music industry, I then... Uh, took some time off just to figure my shit out and 
I saw that like there was an overlap between my knowledge of business and my knowledge of sex to become a sex educator. So that's how I got uh, into sex education now. And what I did before COVID was mainly helping uh, clients that were like coupled or in poly relationships or even singles, uh, like finding ways to spice up their bedroom life or their just like their relationship ways to communicate uh you know things to help increase intimacy and all of those other things and then uh my specific focus is on lgbtq plus sexual health uh, with a focus on hiv aids awareness so um when i'm not uh recording my podcast or when i'm not coaching clients I am here in Toronto's gay village where I would be in like queer spaces. So like the clubs and the bathhouses and I'm handing out condoms, brochures on HIV, STIs. I am basically there as like a beacon of light to provide uh, medically accurate and no judgment information to whoever wants it so i guess you can say i'm passionate about sex i am passionate about sucking cock (laughs) and (laughs) i'm passionate about all things sex love and relationship styles and i love you know playing music you know and video games and art and pole dancing those are my really just my passions there that's amazing, man. Thank you so much for sharing, dude, and um, doing some some incredible work there as well. So I'm I'm you know gonna um, gas you up as well and and say that that's that's very necessary, brother. Um, and uh, I wanted to um I wanted to ask. I'm curious, did, did, uh, like the things that you learnt as an escort are they relevant to the work that you're doing now? Are there things that really translate across quite well? I feel like it is because when I was escorting. It started off with like really simple clients who just wanted like intimacy or who just wanted someone to uh, share space on their couch for the night. And I use like my connection and my experience with those clients into my sex education work now. And then there's also like, you know, the, the kinky clients who are like, I want you to whip me and I want you to do whatever it is that you want from me. And I was like, really whatever i want so i'm just gonna stay here and play candy crush on my phone for the hour you need to tell me you need to vocalize your needs and it was that kind of experience and that kind of dialogue from escorting that i translate into sex education now so like you you should be vocalizing your needs and be a proactive and genuine in telling your partner your desires so that you know we're all having a fun time we're all in the party together yeah, man, that's such a common thing. I've spoken to a couple of escorts uh, and sex workers on my podcast now and like a common theme or um, just phenomenon or observation that they share with me is like, you know, they'll ask their clients, well, what do you want? And they're like, uh, you know, I-, I want it all. I want everything. Like, let's, let's, you know, there's like no, um, and, I bet you, uh, you don't want everything. <laughs> right. And that's what they say. Like, uh, I just, I just spoke with another woman and she was like, uh, oh, so I'll put a strap on and I'll peg you. And they're like, no, 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 no. I don't want that. It's like, well, then you obviously you don't want everything, right? You, uh, there, there are limitations and boundaries and you've got to really assert and ask for what it is that you want. And, um, 
and it's interesting that that's a bit of a theme. And I was wondering, what are some things that you do now then to help people, I guess, like discover their desires? Because sometimes people don't ask for what they want because they actually don't know what they want. So how do you help them mm-hmm. maybe tune, know, in, right? yeah, tune into their desires and then also kind of ask for it as well, vocalize it and voice it? Right. So uh, first, well, this was before uh, the pandemic where I was seeing clients in person. So I would tell them uh, to get in touch with your own desires and to find out what exactly is it that you want. Let's start small. Like what makes you in touch with yourself with a capital S, you know, the core of who you are? What are some of the things that you like? What are what are the ways that let's use me, for example, what are the ways that Tim is most like Tim? So Tim enjoys art. Tim enjoys reading and enjoys movies. These are the things that make me happy. And these are the things that give me pleasure. So once I know those like external factors that give me pleasure and make me happy, then I can start to explore my, my body, the more intimate parts of me. What are the ways that I want my body to be touched? What are the ways that I want my partner to touch me that make me happy, that make me feel, you know, most like me, right? Because at the end of the day, we are the sole providers of our own pleasure. We can't, we can't rely on others to bring our pleasure to us, right? So yeah, like getting in touch with your capital S self is the very first and I would say the most important thing when it comes to finding out your own sexual needs, your wants, and your fantasies, all that stuff. And then you can start to explore and expand your boundaries and do all the fun stuff from there. But first, that's important. Get in touch with yourself. I really love that, man. And I resonate, I resonate with it quite a lot because something that I tell my clients is, like I, I encourage them to, to develop a self-pleasure practice and I use pleasure in the most broadest sense of the word. Like if a pleasure practice for you is going for a walk along the beach and feeling the sand in between your toes or reading a nice book and having a cup of tea, right? Whatever it is that kind of fills your cup up and has that kind of enjoyable, Get pleasurable experience. down your throat. And then you can extend oh, then to something like that, right? It's, yes. it's, um, ah. But it's this holistic <laughs> view of pleasure, right? That's what I, that's what I kind of really, that's what I resonate with what you were sharing is is um mm-hmm. uh, and once because you start to pleasure, figure out those it, yeah because pleasure is not necessarily a sexual thing right exactly right? and i, I think we we as a society have compartmentalized pleasure to only be sexual right i think we find it difficult to explore pleasure outside of the erotic sense is that kind of fair mm-hmm. to say because mm-hmm. like right there when you said self-pleasure i feel like your audience would think masturbating but no it's like I don't know, eat a piece of chocolate, go out and see a movie, read your favorite book and watch the stars at night. Just anything that makes you feel most like your capital S self. Yep. And if that is guzzling a glass of cum as well, then so be it. Which is my self-pleasure <laughs> regimen. <laughs> there you go. So um, having butt plugs inside. And- <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's 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 a pleasure <laughs> practice and it's about what what kind of gives you pleasure. Exactly. And, and that's and that's the reason why I reframe from masturbation, because that has a lot of connotations. The word masturbation carries a lot of baggage in our society. 
you know, when I talk to men about the way that they masturbate specifically, I get a lot of, um, yeah, the, the common, the common theme is they, yeah, it's friction based jackhammer jerking off like a chimpanzee style masturbation, usually in front of a computer screen, usually sitting down, usually behind closed doors. They try and secret it away. They try and hide it. Um, which is not a, in my opinion, not a super healthy way to explore and express your sexuality it is a way but if it's the only way you're exploring and expressing your sexuality yeah, it becomes no. pretty banal and pretty routine and boring over a yeah, while Yeah, it becomes so boring because there's other ways to touch your penis like like have you tried like one of my favorite ways to masturbate is like when you use the tips of your fingers and then you kind of just draw a circle on the coronal ridge and just like really get in touch with the sensitivity of the nerve endings there or like when you draw or circles or like you rub the frenulum and then you kind of just trace your finger up and down those are other ways to masturbate or like switching hands use a toy use a male masturbator those are great ways to like just up the masturbation game not just and then it's like oh great what do i do now gotta clean up all this tissue and all that but like when you masturbate that way without uh coming as a goal you find that you're like exploring different aspects of your sexuality which is amazing mm, and this is this leads me into something that we spoke about very briefly on your podcast which is um like not being goal oriented with your masturbation and self-pleasuring but also then by virtue of that extending to maybe being uh, multi-orgasmic as well and i know you you said you're uh, self Self-proclaimed, self-confessed, multi-orgasmic man, and I wanted to. I'm coming out that. of the closet as a multi-orgasmic man. <laughs> I was I've wondering if we could. My, uh, I'm living my truth. That's yeah. So you're so brave. <laughs> so brave. Thank you for accepting me as a multi-orgasmic man. Well, I was um, so afraid of coming out. <laughs> I wanted to know about your first multi-orgasmic experience, if you can recall it, and how uh, it came about, and and. Um, yeah, and, and if you're open to sharing a little bit more about what you were doing at the time to kind of have that that experience. Mm. Um, I believe my first multi-orgasmic experience was with one of my boyfriends at the time. I say boyfriends because it's easier to just say that than like someone I was regularly having sex <laughs> with. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so one of my boyfriends at the time, we were like uh, fucking and... I was the bottom and he bought out a vibrator because he wanted to try it out on me. I'm like, okay, cool. So me being like the little gavy, I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm just going to try whatever comes my way. Um, it was a Hitachi magic wand. Uh, one of the best vibrators on the market. If I do say so myself, um, he brought that out and then he started to fuck me and rub the vibrator on my dick. And then, like, it was it was just like this combination of emotions from prostate stimulation and cock stimulation that, like, my, my nerve endings, my, my emotions, they were all over the place. And just, like, my pistons were firing, like, everywhere. And then, just, like, out of nowhere, my prostate orgasmed first. And it felt like... Oh, this this different sensation that I wasn't used to. I was like, wow, it feels like my entire body is like shaking. It's quivering. My toes were curling. I was grabbing onto the sheets. I thought I was going to fall off the bed. And then as soon as my prostate orgasm like came down, 
my genital orgasm came back. I was like, oh shit, wait, hold on, there's another one. And then I was like trying to hold on for dear life. I'm like holding on to the bed frame. I'm gonna fall. Holy shit. So uh needless to say, I made a mess all over his sheets, all over his walls. If he hears this, I apologize so many times. I did help you clean up. So forgive me, but um, you did give me my first multi-orgasm. So thank you for that. <laughs> That's amazing, man. And and it speaks to something that I talk about a lot, which is prostate stimulation, right? Like yeah. the, the anus, the prostate is a like a really, uh, I mean, amongst other things, it's a really powerful way of learning how to have a, a multi-orgasm. I would like to tell all of your straight male listeners to go get their ass ate. Please go get your ass ate. Ah, so, they, so I haven't, I haven't spoken about rimming on, on the podcast before. So oh, maybe then we, we can, better do it maybe now. We, <laughs> we better start today. <laughs> uh, so yes, I, I'm not super familiar with rimming. It's not part of my um, regular repertoire with regards to my sexual encounters. But um, it sounds like it's something that's that you're pretty familiar with. So I was wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit more into it. I've dabbled here and there. <laughs> Um, so do you want me to speak on receiving or giving? Um, let's go, uh, let's go giving first. Giving. Okay. So, uh, when you're giving a rim job, uh, don't be afraid of the butthole. Yeah. Like poop comes out of there, but guess what? Giving a blow job, there's piss that's coming out of there. So what's the difference? <laughs> um, so as long as like everyone has taken their shower and done all of their due diligence, you should be okay. Um, when you're rim, rim jobbing, when you're rimming your partner, um, don't go in all the way because you do need to warm up. Even if it is just a rim job and not penetration, do work your way towards the anus. So what I like to do is get first into the gluteal fold. So like where your butt turns into your leg, that little fold there, that crease is a great way to start. You got to massage it. You can squeeze the cheeks. You can knead. You can do a little bit of uh, percussive hitting, like uh, like a little light karate chop, and then you can start to work your way towards the anus. So when you like spread the cheeks open, don't go right into it yet, but go around the anus. So like just where the where the cheeks kind of like make a valley. So that's a great way to start, and don't ignore the taint. The taint is a great. Uh, erogenous zone for uh, butt play and then once you feel your partner start to like warm up and like you know get comfortable and then you can get your tongue into it i like to lick from the taint going up to the anus and then you make like imagine that you're drawing a flower so from the taint up to the anus is like the stem and just before you hit the anus draw little circles around the anus to make like a flower because just around the anus is like more sensitive parts which is beautiful and you're gonna make him squirm and then you can start to go uh right to the bullseye so uh you can don't be afraid to like really get your tongue in there because it tastes good like <laughs> um i like to you know use a dental dam and over the dental dam i'll put like some chocolate for myself just to make it a little more pleasurable um yeah it's, it's a great it's a great like little snack for later um and yeah like when you really get your tongue in there and then you can start to feel them squeeze around your tongue that's just one of the best feelings so that's like 
rim job 101 for your mm. listeners. Yeah, thanks, man. And, and, and thank you for emphasizing the fact that you don't just dive straight in, that it takes like warming up. Because I, I speak about this all the time when it comes to prostate play and people are like automatically jump to, oh, we're talking about shoving a full arm up your ass. And it's like- That's well, Tim's that's, method. I'll send you over to the Tim's podcast if you want to learn to do that. <laughs> but, to get all the way up to your shoulder. <laughs> right. But like, I mean, I mean and, and fisting is, is you know, fantastic. You can, you can do that, but it's not where you have to start, you know? And, and, you know, you can start with just kneading the glutes and the buttocks and, and working your way around- you know, the, the anal opening as opposed to going straight in. And, and I think that's oftentimes missed. I, I think people, and, and like the perineum, right? The taint as well is, is an important part of, of this whole area. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know what it is, but people just like automatically assume whenever I've talked about it, they're like, no, I can't stick that all the way up. And I was like, I'm not even saying that. I'm just <laughs> like, just relax first and just explore that part of your body. Um, warm up. Yeah, warm up. Exactly. Um, what about then uh, receiving? Does a receiver have to warm up? Uh, I feel like for in the receiving end, there is, if you're starting to explore, uh, rim jobbing, um, you do need to get comfortable. Um, there will be a mess, um, not all the time, but you do need to be comfortable with the fact that there might be a mess down there <laughs> and that's normal. That's going to be okay. And, you know, to quote the overused statement shit happens right so uh, <laughs> uh if you're worried about making a mess uh eat lots of fiber lots of greens um although you can also like douche if you're not super like on the diet side of things um douching is a great way to, like wait until the water runs clear and then you should be fine Really, like the only time you have to worry about shit coming out is if you really feel like you need to shit because um, feces stays in like, what is it? Just past the sigmoid sphincter. It doesn't even stay in the rectum. So like, if there's nothing in your rectum, you should be okay. Uh, and, you know, give your rim job er because <laughs> you're the rim jobby. So give the rim job er um, like, you know, vocal instructions that's also something that you need to like say while you're getting rimmed right so uh, i like it when you lick me here or like slow down a bit or like flick your tongue just like something like that right um being uh the receiver of a rim job is just as important as the top of the rim job right like you need to vocalize your needs because they're not going to be able to vocalize while their tongue is inside of you <laughs> so mm. you need to sell very true yeah yeah <laughs> uh what about what about prep work are we uh you know we spoke a little about douching and just kind of making sure your your hygiene's on point but uh what about shaving is it is it a um like is there some adequate uh some, sorry some adequate uh with regards to like prep work <laughs> uh well I personally like hair. That's just my preference. Um, that that is something that you're gonna want to talk about with your partner. But also, like, if your partner can't handle the jungle, then they have to go find a barren field. <laughs> That's their <laughs> their space, right? Like, hair is there. It's gonna stay. It grows. But if you are like subconscious, then by all means, go shave. 
I love me a good manscape razor. So beautiful. I personally am conscious about like, if he's going to rim me and he wants like a nice clean workspace, I'm going to go get waxed. <laughs> I really don't care about my own hair. So like, if you want me to grow it out, sure. If you want me to shave it and wax it, sure. Uh, so I like to get waxed just because it's more secure for me. Um, but that's like on the grooming side of things, but more prep work, douching, um, uh, scent free soap, because I know some anuses, they could be like sensitive to the chemicals of scented soap, S scent scentless soap and water. Pretty good. It'll get you where you need to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, um, there's a, a, a small percentage, I don't know what the exact percentage is because it hasn't been actually empirically studied, but there is a small percentage of guys who don't wash their ass, who don't wipe properly, what? who don't. Yeah, man, I'm telling you. They're, You're like, joking. Google what? it, man. Google it. There's a no, Reddit, there's a Reddit thread. There's, there's, <laughs> there's some women talking about it, man. Um, I swear. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. So if you're, uh, if you're a guy. <laughs> I like how you say this, it like it's, it's like it's some sort of fashion trend. No, it's man. <laughs> it is a thing, but it's definitely not a trend and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be trending. Um, it, yeah, dude, it's a, it's unfortunate, um, but it's definitely out there. There's guys out there. So, uh, but I mean, whether you're that extreme or not, like personal hygiene is like just paramount to like having good sexual encounters, in my opinion. Like if you want to have an enjoyable sexual experience before you even start thinking about all the tips and tricks and strategies and tools and all these weird skills that you can do, just take care of your body a little bit. Like just feel good with like, you know, feel clean, feel relatively fresh, like feel like even if it's wearing something as well, like put something on that kind of makes you feel a little bit nicer and makes you feel like a little bit more sexy. Nice and, cologne. You yeah. Know. If you want to do it, yeah. like, yeah, it, it's just, just like, like do the pirate wash. <laughs> the yeah. pirate wash is just like pits and pubes. <laughs> That's it. With, with some wipes, with some baby wipes and you're good to go. Yeah. But like clean your exactly. feet as well, fellas. Like, fuck me. Like there's like personal hygiene feet. for a lot of guys is, is seriously lacking. Yeah. I don't know why people don't wash their feet. <laughs> like, uh, is that why guys, some guys wear socks in bed because they <laughs> just like they're hiding some sort of toe fungus? Uh, possibly, um, possibly. Mm. No, it's a, it, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely like, no. a, a, the, like the, you've got to scale things back for, for some fellas I found and, and just like go back to, back to square one. It's like, how are you looking after yourself? Like you clipping, if you're, if you're fingering your partner, are you, do you have clean nails, right? Do you have clipped nails? Right? If you're going, if you're going down on your partner, is your beard clean, like, or is it dandruffy and gross? You know, and yeah, you know, if you're these, kissing, did you use some mouthwash? Right, Even exactly. That. Yeah, brushing your teeth and just taking care of your personal hygiene. Like, it's there's just so. I hope much. I'm converting you to to the rim job team, by the way. To the rim, yeah, well, like, you've you've, de you've edged me uh, <laughs> a little bit intended. closer. You've edged Ooh, me a little bit yeah, closer. Yeah, yeah, for I'm sure. Edging yeah. you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, so. That's another thing, like to circle back to multi-orgasms, that's something that I've found is also really helpful is edging. Is edging. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, and I was wondering, I, um, I have my own way of describing edging, but I was wondering if you were able to speak into your way of describing edging. Ooh, my form of edging is like genital stimulation almost to the point of no return and then fighting back because that's, <laughs> wrestling, that's gonna wrestling a lot of with it, fighting back. <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> It's just like, it's this big elephant trunk of a cock that's like, <laughs> mm, come on, let me go. 
And then it goes. <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> no. Um, so for me, edging is like uh, you want to masturbate. And when you reach that point of no return, you are going to take a lot of willpower because it's like, it feels so good. And I just need some release, but like, find it, find that willpower and stop yourself before you reach that point. So, um, a more practical sense is, uh, all right. So you're masturbating and then you're jacking off. You're almost there before you come squeeze the base of your cock by using like uh what is it the okay symbol so like making a circle with your thumb and index finger and squeeze at the base don't do anything focus on your breathing um here's also where a lot of guys miss is when they keep their legs tense because when you're jacking off you notice that your orgasm is going to affect the rest of your body so like when your muscles are tense especially your legs because like when you watch porn like they're always under tippy toes because that's tense right so relax so focus on your breathing squeeze the base of the dick and then relax your legs you'll find that your uh rhythm goes back to normal and then once you're like you know backed away from that point of no return resume masturbating and then repeat and yeah that's it nice yeah thanks man the, the, that's a um is that the squeeze technique or a variation of yeah. the squeeze technique yeah that's yeah. it yeah nice squeeze in the base. what's your uh, version of edging cam um so one of the ways that i will help guys in um their edging practice is uh, similarly get them to that kind of almost to the point of no return like get right up to the edge of the cliff before jumping across and then try and stay at the edge of the cliff like it's like you're tiptoeing that's along the, the edge of the cliff and the way that i get get guys to do this is similar to what you were talking about before with regards to stimulating your cock is drawing little circles or stimulating the frenulum and keeping that kind of stimulation very light, but very sensitive, just kind of maintaining that high state of arousal for a long, as long a period of time as you can. And, um, and oftentimes what it's great if you is, make a game out of it, right? Yeah. Like yeah right. Your yeah. personal record. Yeah. Timing yeah. it out. Yeah. And, um, and what I found is that the, um, like firstly you're increasing, if I talk like energetics here, you're increasing your energetic capacity for like pleasure and arousal you're you're able to maintain longer a lot of guys get to that point and they're pretty unfamiliar with it and so they bust quite quickly but if you're able to practice maintaining that high level of arousal then you're you're kind of your parameters are expanding a little bit and you're able to hold more of that sexual energy you hold more of that pleasure um, then also as well, like because you're doing that, you, you sometimes can tip yourself over to the edge, especially if you start incorporating some like uh, pubococcygeal squeezes, those kind of PC muscle contractions. Kegels. Yeah, Kegel exercises. Yeah. If you start doing those and maybe like flutter them when you're in that state, you can trigger like a non-ejaculatory orgasm because you're it's it's essentially muscle memory, right? You're, when you orgasm, you're in that heightened state of arousal. You have those involuntary contractions of the PC muscle. All those things kind of happen. You can do those things manually and kind of trick your body into having this orgasmic experience, but it doesn't have the same ejaculation that it has because you haven't had I this ejaculatory experience. I love a non-ejaculatory orgasm because that means I can lead the crime scene and not leave a mess <laughs> you know what like it's like here like i'm not gonna leave a mess for your flatmates or anything so i'm just gonna like come and hold in my cum and i'm just gonna like and then i'm gonna go so out of respect for your property <laughs> yeah yeah for your property yeah. um i uh 
And so, and so, there, there, so there's a difference there, right? Between like holding and not ejaculating, which would be, I mean, in my, the way that I've kind of seen this is, is would be a retrograde ejaculation, right? That ejaculation goes back into the bladder, right? Um, and then, um, and then like the, the uh, way that I'm describing as well is like the fluttering can be like a, this like flutter orgasm is the way that I describe it. So it actually isn't a retrograde ejaculation, but you, you, you kind of have this orgasmic experience. And so this- A lot of guys like confuse orgasm and ejaculation as like the same thing. Right? Yeah, totally. So they like, conflate the it's two. It's two yeah. different things. Yeah. They yeah, happen very closely. Physiological. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's this, um, there's this, uh, you know, there's training you can do to separate those two things, but I mean- I mean, what I love about all these different techniques and and um, and strategies is it speaks to this idea that like we can have so many different sexual experiences. Like we aren't just limited to a five second sticky white crotch sneeze by masturbating furiously and vigorously a to pornography. Crotch sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can we can have all these amazing experiences, right? And um and you know, multi orgasmic multi orgasmic doesn't necessarily mean you have several orgasms in the same session multi-orgasmic can mean that you can have you know there's a multitude of different orgasms that you can have you aren't just limited to um i think that's like you know the other way that we can think of multi-orgasms you aren't just limited to an ejaculation you you can have different types of orgasms like we spoke about prostate orgasms before i've had a genital and a nipple orgasm at the same time ah so nipple orgasm say so i've never had a nipple orgasm myself <gasps> Ooh, you're in for a treat. Yeah, right. Well, oh. Are you able to uh, share with me how to explore nipple play and how to have a mm -hmm. nipple orgasm? So for me, I explored nipple play by um, blocking out all of my other senses. So I put on some headphones, some noise canceling headphones, and I put on a blindfold. And I made that part of my masturbating routine. So I would just stimulate the nipples with just like any toy. You know, I like vibrating toys. but the the key is like to tune out all of their other senses so that you can focus on just that one sense right get comfortable um you know light a candle a scented candle and just just like give yourself a little treat and then play with your nipples because nipples are great like erogenous zones right they're filled with like all these nerve endings so you want to like play with that and just focus on that and when you start to like zone in on just that sensation you can start to feel it like you know tense up and like all these other sensations just just like join in the party and then you just start this like sensation of tightening up and then sudden release and you combine that with your genital orgasm and masturbating and it's just like i i don't know how else to orgasm besides being multi orgasmic i want it all <laughs> give me all the orgasms i i also love how you've emphasized in both of your stories and thank you for sharing so personally is uh genital stimulation is included in both of those right and um this is something that i uh i like talk to to the men that i work with about is when they start exploring like prostate play for example like they'll when they, and I don't really give them too many instructions to begin with. I want to see like where their limitations and boundaries are and get them to feed that back to me. But when they, when they start it, they totally just stop stimulating their cock and they only stimulate their like, and I don't tell, don't ask me why it just, this is just how it happens. Every time <laughs> I was about I've, to, I'm like, huh? every time, every time I've suggested it, guys will, will, um, yeah, they'll, they'll just focus solely on their anus. And, and I think 
the reason why, um, and I haven't really kind of collected data on this, but I think the reason why is because when they're going from their regular masturbation, which is only solely focused on their genitals, that's kind of the way they think about their masturbation is it has to be localized in one point, right? And so then they just change that that point of focus to their anus and and forget that they've got a, a cock for, for the time being. Um, and so I have, to, I have to usually encourage them to be like, hey, try incorporating genital stimulation into prostate play and having both going at the same time and seeing how that goes. And, and usually that's what gets the, um, gets the momentum going, I suppose, and gets the arousal flowing. But um, yeah, it's just a quite interesting thing that I've noticed with guys is like, and, and especially if I, if I say like, I'm going to incorporate more um, talking about nipple play. If I say to guys, go and explore your nipples, I can guarantee you the same thing will happen is they'll forget every other area of their body and it'll just be their nipples. And I think that's because they've conditioned themselves to only localize themselves on one particular area of the body. Start learning how to multitask, people. Come on. <laughs> that's it, the multitasking, that's it. I love that, man. If you, um, can, if you can watch porn and jack off, you can rub your nipples and your genitals. Come on, yet. that's already multitasking right 100%. there. 100%, <laughs> yeah, you're already doing it, fellas. Just shift it a little bit, yeah. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course it's called outperform a porn star it goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure oriented we talk about communicating with your partner being a sexual leader and all of this amazing stuff So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. I want to talk a little bit, man, uh, and if you're open to it, and I understand that it's it's a bit more maybe personal and personalized topic and takes a bit of energy to talk about, but I'd love to talk to you about the like it's a bit of intersectionality between being a gay guy in Toronto and also being an Asian man as well. And I was wondering if you felt comfortable speaking into those two areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which aspect of it? Okay. Um, so the, the, uh, there's was, so many, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. The fetishization I like, of where it, do we go uh... from this? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the, I mean, let's, um, that, that was kind of where I wanted to go was the, I, I know the, like, if we keep it in the vein of sexuality, there is the fetishization of, um, of like Asian, I mean, Asian women, but Asian men as well. It's, there's a bit of a variation there. And, and I'm wondering, is there a particular fetishization about gay Asian men? Right. So um, when I was like an escort, I would be like a highly sought out. Um, oh God, I don't like using this word. That's the only word I can think of right now. I was a highly sought out product. Um, so a lot of clients would request me because i'm like the gay asian man and because they have this idea or like this prejudice that like gay asian men are going to be submissive and they want to be like the top they want to be you know dominant and i don't mind doing that but like once you start boxing me in this specific category of being like just because you're asian I am going to treat you in a specific way that becomes a little like weird because um even like now on the dating apps when i see like all these guys who like put on their profile they say 
uh, no Asians. I'm like, what? Or on the other end of the spectrum, Asians only. And it's like, huh? <laughs> so you either want me or you don't want me, like, just because I'm Asian, I really don't understand the the mentality there. So that's just one of the, the obstacles I have to face as a gay Asian man uh, in the world, not just in Toronto, not in Canada, not just in North America, but like literally in the world. Uh, being gay and Asian, we are fetishized because of like, you know, being submissive. And there's this stereotype that we all have small dicks. And I will have you know that my dick is far from small, <laughs> but that's beside the point. So we are like, you know, put into a box that we shouldn't be put into because like my race has nothing to do with how good I can fuck you. <laughs> right. Just because I'm Asian doesn't mean I'm going to like, you know, give it all for you because, Oh, please give me that good white dick. And it's like, um, no, I, I will, I have boundaries. I have needs and wants and desires. I am a whole person. I'm not just going to bend over backwards. I also want to like top you and I want to like dominate you too. So yeah, people need to get that out of their brain that like, just because Asian men are quote unquote perceived as submissive, that's not necessarily true. I'm going to fuck you until you beg for it. Mm. <laughs> that's a, a, amazing, man. I, I love the, um, I love the confidence that you have to to like speak into that. I, I spoke to um, a little while ago on my podcast, Kenneth Play, about his experience as an Asian man um, and uh, especially like as an Asian man in America. And, and he was talking about how he had to work quite hard to overcome the like people's perception of him as effeminate uh, because he was an Asian guy and um I'm not sure if you're familiar with with Kenneth, but he's quite a um, like he's quite a strapping like guy. He's quite strong, quite strong looking. Um, and he said part of part of his um, interest in fitness was to kind of work on that overcoming that, that to fight of, his femininity. Yeah, that overcoming that effeminization that he felt projected onto him. And uh, and and so that Aww, you know we man. we spoke about masculinity masculinity in that regard. And I was wondering with regards to your own exploration and understanding of your masculinity has that kind of projection of effeminization of asian men been something you've come up against i think uh for me personally when uh i am perceived as like feminine it's not really that much of an insult because there's nothing wrong with being feminine i embrace it i embrace my femininity and there are days when i embrace my masculinity i vacillate between the two because we're like every single person in this world regardless of your gender is a mix of those of that like spectrum of femininity and masculinity somewhere outside of that spectrum that's totally okay but like for me i have just learned to embrace being perceived as feminine or masculine however you want to like you know put me and label me but like it's no plight on me if you're thinking i'm so quote unquote girly i'm not going to change my appearance and change who i am just because some random asshole thinks I'm too much of a sissy. Like, okay, that's your issue. That's an issue, not an issue me. Right? <laughs> that's totally. your problem to deal with. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. I feel you, man, and I, um, I appreciate you, you wanting to, your, your, your willingness to talk into this, mate. And, and 
um, something else that I wanted to, to ask, and again, um, let me know if you're comfortable talking about it, is- Open um, book. Yeah, I, thanks, man. It is like um, being uh, part of the LGBTQIA plus community, but also- The entire alphabet. Yeah, the, the alphabet suit. <laughs> There's always more um, letters being yeah. added. I can't um, keep up. <laughs> but with regards to that and being Asian as well, is there a cultural or is there a, um, like, I guess like, is there- from my projection and from my, I guess, my bias and stereotype is that it's not necessarily as accepted in Asian cultures. Is that is that something that I'm kind of need to work on, or no, is that a, is that a fair thing yeah. to say? It's a fair thing to say because um, with, uh, for me, my lived experience as a gay Asian man, um, homosexuality is not necessarily accepted in Asian culture. I mean. There are like, there, there, we're we're getting there, but not quite there yet. So, um, like, a lot of Asian countries, they don't even have like same-sex marriage for some for one example. But that's just like one tiny little example. And um, like for example, for me, uh, being born and raised in the Philippines, uh, there's like really poor representation of LGBT people. So like yeah we are accepted to a certain degree like asian gay asians are portrayed in the media in a way that's only palatable for media consumption but outside of straight people's entertainment we're not really that accepted so like you know uh you can do your drag you can do your uh like cross-dressing thing as long as it's for a straight person's entertainment besides that you we don't really care about you so like that's a little like weird and just like so gross and it's not cute and then like you know being uh asian here in north america in the gay community it's like a whole slew of other stereotypes that i just previously spoke about so yeah, we do need to fight for some representation. We need to do better as a community. And yeah, like Asians need to get their shit together, especially the older generation of Asians. <laughs> Honestly, like, like we're here, we're queer, get used to it, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're not going sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for, for speaking into that. I'm, um, you know, I, I think about my own kind of circle of, friends and, and influence and um you know i I've, i spoke to um martha tara lee on my on my podcast a little while ago and um we spoke about how i mean i don't really know too many asian sex educators or sexuality professionals or people kind of in the space and um now you know me yes hey. well, of course yeah yeah <laughs> and um and i was i was kind of kind of thinking is that is there a is there a um, a stigma or, or a barrier for for like Asian people to get into the sexuality space or the sex education space? Is there like is that not a um, career path that's kind of encouraged? Like, do you do you reckon there's anything to speak into there? Yeah, it's a cultural thing. Like when uh, Asians are brought up, you know, sex is not really so much of a of a thing that you speak of like it is kept within the vacuum of 
sex before marriage. It should be between men and women. So yeah, there's this whole cultural like obstacle that a lot of Asian sex educators need to overcome. So the reason I'm in like the sex education field is because I was able to unpack my own biases and my own like um, prejudices and really interrogate those thoughts of what I thought sex should be. And then, you know, we start to like evolve and you start to really see all of these like things that keep Asians from pursuing sex education. Not that they have to, but like those that want to are not fully able to because of their cultural upbringing. I have seen some fellow Asian sex educators who are on that path with me where they have learned to unpack all of their like prejudices and learn to overcome their cultural upbringing to become the sex positive beings that they are. And I kind of just wish that for all of the other uh, Asian sex educators who want to be to become that, you know, sexually liberated educator. Mm, yeah, man. Thank you for that. And, and you know, you mentioned you were working on and overcoming your own biases and prejudices. And, and, and I was wondering what, what work was that that you were doing? Ooh, um, let's see. I had to unpack my internal homophobia. That was one thing. You know, when I was thinking that like me being gay was wrong and uh, anything else that was gay should be like cast away or you know, the, the whole thing. Internal homophobia is a different beast all on its own. And then there's um, having to like question why sex should be between men and women and in the context of marriage and for the purpose of making babies only. So I really had to question like, why did I think that? Why did I, um, you know, believe that that was my one and only truth and really start to interrogate all of those, uh, all of those previous beliefs. And I still don't really have the answer to all of the questions I used to have. And I probably will not. And that's okay. As long as like you're continuously evolving and you're interrogating your beliefs and you're questioning like your current like belief system that's a sign of growth and i kind of want to encourage that for everyone like you it's okay to not have the answers to all of your cultural blocks or all of the biases and the prejudices that you have as long as you are constantly questioning you're constantly growing and you're constantly trying to be a better version of yourself than you were yesterday Mm, yeah, I love that, dude. And and you know, you said you were interrogating these biases, and and was that by yourself, or was that? Um, did you have like a? Uh, were you seeing a counselor? A were you seeing a therapist? Were you seeing a? You know, was there was there someone else a- to facilitate that that <laughs> interrogation? Honestly, it started me. It started with me uh, attending Sunday service with my family, and the priest went on a rant about being pro-life and like how women who get abortions are like sinners i was like wait hold on that doesn't sound very quote unquote christian of you i'm like and then from questioning my catholic upbringing to questioning my sexual beliefs 
and my own system that's kind of where the unpacking started and then yeah i started to like um connect with other people who were on that journey with me like going to queer spaces going to volunteer and then seeing a therapist and just like trying to figure out which parts of me have been like inauthentic so that i can find my most authentic self yeah yeah man i am um, i'm always curious about like how like how people begin questioning things because is it like you know and maybe um you could speak into this if you felt it was something you could uh there's this like feeling that i have is like there's people that will never question their beliefs and is it because they've never been given the opportunity to question them or is it because their their personality traits or they're inherently not someone who's going to question like is it, and it kind of feels like the nature versus nurture you know false dichotomy here but you know i always kind of um am curious about people who have gone on this journey of really questioning their religiosity or questioning their like um their you know, internalized belief systems and what prompted that if it was like something external or whether it was always something that was inside of them that they were trying to kind of pursue i feel like for me and this is just my own personal opinion but i feel like people don't question their beliefs because they're comfortable they're afraid of being uncomfortable you know like this is what i know to be true this is what i choose to believe is true and this is where i am going to stay right but for me it, like it just became that moment in sunday service and it's not going to happen like that for everyone where they just like have a moment that clicks right but we need to learn to sit with our discomfort we need to learn to sit with like you know questions that shake us to our very core why is it that you believe xyz why is it that you you know act this way and then you can go down your own little rabbit hole of questions and then see where that leads you you're gonna if you're gonna end up like me where you're gonna end up like a vegetable because of all the questions that you have you're having a, a philosophical crisis then sure but um yeah uh at least it's like a first step of right like asking yourself all these why questions why is it that i believe this way why is it that i act this way why is it that this makes me feel like this then you can like really start to unpack from there yeah yeah i am um... Uh, I I feel like I'm having a philosophical crisis with my fiance and our son <laughs> you know, over the last month as a as a new parent as a new dad and just oh, like oh no what's going on oh uh, just like unpacking like my triggers with regards to like him as a little dude like he's like he I mean he's a baby of course so he needs he needs attention like pretty much all the time and like he and he cries and that's the only way he can really express himself is through crying right. yes yes yeah. it's and so. Yeah, it's just bringing up all this stuff of like my own childhood of being like told to be quiet when I was a little boy or being told not to cry. And I, and I, so, and I feel this like thing pop up in me of being like, I want to tell him not to cry. I want to tell him to get over it. I want to tell him to, to be quiet. And, and, um, and so like he's being this big mirror for me to, to kind of do, you know, we talk about inner child work and, and, you know, it's pretty powerful in a child work when you've got a literal child in front of you that um, oh, is, yeah. 
is because really, um, really adults triggering are it. just still children in older bodies, right? Yeah, totally, man. And and all those things that happen when you're young, like I, I always because I'd studied psychology and I was like, oh yeah, like kind of I understand kind of intellectually and conceptually, you know, our formative years and the things that happen in developmental psychology and stuff like this. And and I was like, yeah, but I've done the work, yeah, and I, I kind of get it and I understand it. And now it's just like, holy shit, that thing that happened when I was like, you know, a, a toddler is now rearing its head and, and influencing the way that I'm parenting. It's and it just makes me think about, yeah, yeah, intergenerational trauma and stuff, man, like these patterns that we Ooh, just perpetuate. Yes. It's like, holy shit, it's, it's a real intergenerational thing. Intergenerational trauma, like, trauma it's, it's, bonding. Totally, oh, man, God. totally. So, um, I, yeah, oh, I, I, so I, I fully, I fully um, am just having this big like, oh my God, do I know anything about life at all? This <laughs> <laughs> is like huge my, learning experience. My friend- is my friend is recently just became a new father like his daughter is just two months old and he tells me about like how um when he hears her daughter cry and he can't like make her calm down he feels like an unfit parent and how that ties into like his sense of worthlessness and how that worthlessness goes back to his roots of being a kid of like not being able to make the grade or not being able to make the team and it's just like wow that is a lot to unpack all because you couldn't make your daughter like not cry like totally totally yeah and a child man and then you're like okay, am I going to have time to unpack this? Nope, because you've just got to deal with a screaming child. So it's like- deal with a screaming child. Here's your bottle. Here's your diaper. It's wild, man. It's wild. Yeah. So, and um, it's something that I'm like really reflecting on is like being- a good positive role model with regards to like sexuality as well. Like I've got a little son and- and I don't you know, think you have to worry about that, Cam. You're pretty good sexual I appreciate icon. that, dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> the icon. I'll take that. I'll claim that, the sexual there you icon. Go. Um, but yeah, I um, and, and the, I mean, the reason why I, I kind of circle back to this is because like, m- like I know that I had and, and probably still to some degree, you have like an internalized homophobia. You know, you were mentioning that before and and it's something that, you know, I had to unpack. Is that why you don't a, want to get your ass ate? I think it's probably, yeah, I think it's, it's probably something to, 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 to wrap back into that, man. It's like, like I had to, I had to overcome uh, a lot of that when I was exploring my own prostate and, you know, and, and, you know, I've definitely done a lot of work on it, but there's, I feel like there's little remnants of it. You know, there's still this, um, there's still this story in the back of my head of like, or what if someone thinks that I'm gay? Or what if, you know, I talk about this online and yeah, exactly, right? And that's what I have to keep on reminding myself. And it, and it's, um yeah, it's just this, and, and it pops up. I mean, I think the reason why it's so prevalent for me is because it pops up in the work that I do with men literally on a day-to-day basis is either internalized homophobia or this overt um, expression of it, which is thankfully not as um, prevalent with the guys that I work with because they're already kind of doing some of the work. But yeah, it's, which is it's, mo- like that's why my mantra is that's an issue, not an issue me. So yeah, yeah, work totally. Through that because I'm doing me. I don't care what you think of me. So yeah, amazing. Man. <laughs> I appreciate that as well, dude. Um, and and I'm uh, I'm just mindful of time. And um, is there um, and look, I like the the topic of internalized homophobia i would love to speak to you about for a long period of time and maybe we can we can explore that over the next um 20 minutes but if you're open to it um but particularly like with regards to um like gay men for example like gay men that have their own internalized homophobia and how that maybe particularly impacts them as opposed to straight men we kind of know how internalized homophobia impacts straight men but i was wondering how it might impact um 
game in. So um, I want to save that for the 20 minute conversation if you're interested in doing that, brother. Um, sure. But um, to wrap up the, the podcast, um, Firstly, a huge thank you, man. We, that was a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, when we started off, <laughs> we started off pretty lighthearted and pretty fun, and ended up pretty serious. So I, I appreciate you going deep. on that journey. Yeah, we got very deep. We got so, foreplay, and then we got everybody for the penetration. <laughs> we went straight into the penetration. Uh, well, I appreciate you going on that journey, um, man, and, and sharing quite personally as well. So thank you for for you know, sharing your, your time and energy. And um, as we kind of close down the podcast, I, I, I always ask this at the end, and um, it's a big question, so obviously I don't expect you to have all the answers in the next kind of thirty seconds. But it's a uh, it's it's advice, man. It's advice for people that have listened to us talk for the last hour, maybe resonate with what you're sharing in particular, and um, and don't really know like where to go from here. You know, what's what's next for them? You know, is, is there any advice you can offer them? I feel like the best advice is my mantra: "That's an issue, not an ishmi." Like whatever people think of you, that's their problem that they have to unpack. As long as you're being your most genuine, authentic self, who cares what other people think? Do your business, do what makes you happy, do what gives you pleasure. And then uh, if other people have taken issue with that, then I don't see how that's our problem. <laughs> Tell them to go find a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Just carry around therapy cards and start handing them yeah, out to people. Yeah, why not? Yeah, here's a therapy card for you to unpack <laughs> your internalized homophobia, your misogyny, your racism, free of charge. Tell them Tim sent you. Bye. <laughs> I love that, man. Well, thank you so much, dude, for for spending an hour just getting pretty thank you. Uh, raw with me. I was going to throw raw in there and see raw. if there's, there's, yeah, there's another innuendo. I've that we never can... heard of a condom in my entire life. <laughs> what are condoms? What are dental dams? Huh? What are they? Sorry. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate you, man, and, and thank you as well um, for bringing a bit of lightheartedness to to the to the podcast. It's not thank something you for that I the opportunity. doesn't come supernaturally to me that lightheartedness. So I appreciate <laughs> you uh, you bringing it out of me. Thank you. <laughs> I love bringing stuff out of people, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a youtube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast so like i said if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron thank you